You're listening to the Bathtub Refinishing Podcast. Powered by Bathtub Guys Refinishing. We discuss the refinishing industry, interview owners and operators, and give tips to business owners and entrepreneurs. Now, here's your host, Daniel Montalvo. Hello, everybody. We're back, back with the Bathtub Refinishing Podcast. And first thing you're going to notice, aside from the guest, is the upgrades. Okay, guys? Enhanced video quality. We're, Looking nice. Yeah, we're, we're extra crispy now. You guys are going to be able to tell how old we look, <laughs> but uh, making some upgrades, making, you know, trying to make the content look better and stuff like that for everybody. Did we have the epoxy done for the last episode? We did. So the okay. epoxy, yeah, that's another thing. It, it's, slow, it's a slow build. We're yeah. getting the, the table epoxy for some character. That was an A Kings renovation special. Yeah, exactly. Thank this, you, Carlos. This light here is not, uh, you know, it's not strobing anymore because the camera shutter speed is cooperating now. Uh, and so, yeah, we're going to continue to make upgrades and stuff like that, but we have a very special guest. Go ahead and introduce yourself, sir. Uh, hi, I'm uh, Dustin Schuler. I own Indiana Resurfacing, and we're based out of uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. Okay. All the way from Indianapolis. I know. And we were talking about this the other day, and I know we talked about it a little bit before, but it's it's been interesting for us to see, like, how people are actually coming on such a platform. Because yeah. like you said, it is very niche. Like, and we know that. And, and I was talking about this the other day with him on the phone. Like, my entire idea was like, hey, no one's doing a podcast. I'm going to do it. And I remember telling everybody about it. And they were like, huh? And we met through this podcast. Yeah, We've done business together, you know, through this podcast. So it's, it's very exciting. And I, I and, thank you for coming along. And not just me and you, but remember um, the guy from Texas. The guy from Texas, yeah. He I, landed a project because of this podcast. I made a, four, a, a $4,000, like, you know, cut of a project that I didn't even, I didn't even go to Texas. The guy drove over here, did a demo in my shop, and I was like, it's on you, man. Perfect. And now Calgary. In Calgary, yeah. And I, I sent him something over there in, in Canada. So Recently, uh, cool. I just bid on a project in the Bay Area that because of our connection with Danny with from Danny. Alliance, he was able to give me some insight on pricing on something like that because the margins in Florida are completely different than the margins in California. You know, so like we could have very easily underbid ourselves, you know. Well, those homes out there, the pricing's just insane. It's so. insane. For materials and everything. And also, you know, a lot of people don't think about this, but he brought up a good point. The environmental stuff over there is completely, completely different. Completely different, yeah. You know, some like... I'm sure that there are people who use Midwest over there, but I know that there's specific things county to county over there that are like you have to dispose of it a certain way. It needs to be packaged a certain way. It's a lot more, you know, yeah, hardcore when it comes to that. The regulations, because so. Florida's pretty lenient. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whatever the hell you want. Pro business. Uh, California put uh, uh, Honda's uh, manufacturing plant for the lawnmowers. They put them out of business. Oh yeah. Oh on, really? Um, on Sudaman emissions. Yeah. Sounds like it. That sounds yeah. about right. Killed yeah. all those jobs. So um, I know you, we touched on it a little bit before, but you wanted to you know, let everybody know, like, how did you get into refinishing? You told us you had a corporate background, but how did you get into refinishing? And if you want to touch on that, you know, where you were and then how you ended up doing refinishing, I think that'd be interesting for people to hear. So um, the corporate jobs I had was were, were focused on um, – Factory and process automation. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the last corporate job I had was with Anderson Hauser. 
and they do level flow pressure um, measurements, temperature too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's stuff that's used in everything on the table here. Um, when you sh- take a shower, you know, all that's measured and monitored. Mm-hmm. Um, I was there eight and a half years. Uh, they came through and uh, said that we want 50% women in management in the next by 2025 or something like that. Wow. And it's like, okay, that's cool, uh, but women aren't applying for these jobs. Like, they're like 10% of the applicants. Yeah. So it's pretty, so that was kind of the writing on the wall for me. I was like, I'm not getting promoted because, you know, I, yeah, you I fit, got the wrong stuff. You don't fit the demographic, brother. <laughs> this is why we need a podcast that, that we can get a little political on, bro. Yeah, because yeah, I have very strong opinions about that whole situation. I agree with you. Women aren't, they, they don't apply for these positions proportional to the men. So what ends up happening is that you knock out qualified men who have studied because you have a quota of women. Yeah. And it's kind of fucked up. And if yeah, it's 10%, I, they're practically guaranteed a job. Exactly. After busting my ass for 20 years yeah. in, in this industry. And, and that's not to say, for anybody listening who might misconstrue it, like, it's not to say that women shouldn't be in those jobs. It's just that, like, it, it's, it's a, it has been historically a male-dominated field, whatever, whatever. But when you're pulling from a pool of 10%, you are, by definition, knocking out a majority of qualified men. So, like, how is that fair? It's not really doing the whole equality thing right. So I, I, I'm not hating on women. I married one. Yeah. My mom's one. I got two daughters. Exactly. I, I love them to death. But, like, yeah, it, it, towards the end, I was reporting to women that weren't qualified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm running circles around them. So I was like, okay, so I need to, you know, I'm getting older quick, right? You, you guys might look at me and be like, well, 45 is a million years away. Well, bro, it happens quick. Quick, yeah. You, know? you wake up one day and you're like, oh, Damn. Yeah, and, and to be fair, it's not the women's fault. This is all political stuff. A lot of it is identity politics and stuff like that that gets thrown in there. And then, you know, it, it, it's just one of those things. I remember they did a poll um, for Google, and they were saying that, like, uh, you know, that there was this whole thing talking about the gender pay gap. And there was this, this, this study that came out of Google that was saying that women, they were pulling out of a smaller pool of women that knew that there was these quotas to have a certain amount of people of a certain gender. Mm-hmm. And then they were actually demanding more because they knew that they had to hire them. So the women were disproportionately earning more than men in Google. It was like 17%. Yeah. Even in like high up corporate positions. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's not necessarily their fault. It's like nobody wants to be on the wrong side of things. Like but corporate in general just shows that it just goes to show how vulnerable you truly are anyways. Yeah. So if you're going to be vulnerable, you might as well be absorbing the risk on your own, mm-hmm. you know, taking it for yourself and having a greater chance of reward for taking that risk. Because if you're if you're worried, you're just going to get laid off because of of demographic changes within your corporation. Yep. You know, that's you might as well take that risk doing business for yourself. And and the risk is always is always there. So that's why I applaud you for saying, fuck that. I'm going to start my own thing because. A lot of people just complain about it and don't ever act. So touch exactly. on touch on how you got there. As, especially, you know, if, if they're making six figures or so, mm-hmm. which that's a decent income in Indianapolis, right? Indianapolis mm-hmm. area. It's a cheap place to live. Kind of like, you know, for it's not like you're in the Bay. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, I was just looking for uh, different franchises, different uh, companies to buy. Um, 
so like academically, my training is uh, is is in finance. So I, t- I tend to look at the books, and I I didn't see any that like I like. Sense mm-hmm. they didn't make sense. Um, you know, when you're getting ready to sell a business, you you um, you know you can't keep filling up mom's minivan and you know buying their, the whole family cell phone bills. And there's so a, what a lot of people do is they try to back out those numbers and say it's really worth this. Well, no, this is what the numbers say. Mm-hmm. You, sh- you mm-hmm. should have been doing your, your books cleaner for the last two or three years if you knew we were going to sell. Yeah. Um, I have a, a, one rental unit on the north side of Indianapolis, and um, you know, the bathroom just looked trash. This is like seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't rent the chicks with, with a trashy, with dir- dirty-looking bathroom. And I had a guy come in and reglaze it. I can't. It was five years ago, six years ago. I can't even remember what it cost, but I was just like, I don't care if it was fifteen hundred dollars or two thousand or whatever. Like to rip all that tile out and you tub, saw the value, yeah, a huge value. Mm-hmm. Boom, he was in and out. He was super slow. It was, like, took a week, right? Damn. Um, eight different strokes for different <laughs> folks. It was his first day. <laughs> Damn. He he was old school man. He's been around um, for a while. It's just you know if you don't have a wife, you don't have kids, and you don't have aspirations to be more than a yeah yeah. Show. We know those guys. Yeah. Good, good good for him. Yeah. But I saw the value in it, and so when I saw the business up for sale, I was like I was like boom, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, this is mm-hmm. something that provides good value. Yeah, and that's one of the things. Like uh, so that is. I think the first time we've heard the story of the customer becoming the fucking owner operator. Yeah. I think you're the first one that's bought out a business. Yeah. An existing refinishing company. Yeah. Cause I know. Uh, so Marissa's mom did that. Oh, she bought up. She, oh, she, she franchised with permanently. Yeah. Yeah. But you're like the first individual is like, Hey, I got it done in my house or at a, one of my properties or whatever. And then I went and did it. So that's really interesting. Um, I, I mean, that just goes to show. That's like, cool. Can we ask you how much you paid for that business when you when you first when you bought the actual business? Yeah, just just curious how how. how oh, much I, I'm I'm like. embarrassed to tell you because I I, I got fucked. Oh shit! Okay. <laughs> I, I got I kind of got fucked. Right. Was it like 300k or some crazy shit like that or more? No, nah, it wasn't that crazy. So, uh, uh, owner operator, which which, all due respect, I call that a donkey show. You know, <laughs> like you're running around like a fucking jackass. Yeah, because you're trying to answer the phone, and they and think the that they're not. Going. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you on those groups on Facebook? No. You should go on there. They're proud of it. They're I'm like, why are you proud? You've been doing this shit twenty years, and you're like, bro, you're gonna wake up and be. Thank you for understanding that shit. It's like these guys, man. They swear that it's like cool to just be like, I'm sixty. Here I am again, spraying another tub. I'm semi-retired. I only spray tubs three days a week. It's like, and then you, all they do is complain. And it's like, but they don't even dare to, to touch the other side to be like, hey, maybe I'm going to try to get a work or actually put some time into training t- somebody, training someone or whatever. Yo, bro, I, if I'm 60, I want to be in the villages in the winter playing golf, you yeah. know, or uh-huh. clear water or something. Mm-hmm. It's, it, 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 and these guys will try to justify it. I already know some of them are going to be like, Oh, you know, I like doing this. It's like you would rather be on the beach sipping a cocktail. Stop playing games. Nobody like nobody and really wants that. You also but cool if you I mean, pretend. If you're going into business for yourself, you have to have some sort of aspiration for for like growth and evolution, right? And yeah. Like, I find value in like being able to turn over a tech. 
Like when I when I get a new guy in and I train him and then he starts producing, like I get a sense of gratification knowing that we were able to achieve that as a, as a team. I noticed when, um, as you said, pick up the damn phone. Why aren't you? If you're in, what's the point of having a business if you don't pick up the damn phone? Well, I get almost every phone call now because I haven't been doing the job so much. I've been doing the spot repairs. Mm -hmm. Uh, running around the skyscrapers and you know new construction, the guys screw everything up. They drop tiles in the yeah, tiles. And, yeah, and that that see that's one of the main reasons. And it's like a, a lot of these guys don't get that. It, it's and I've talked about this before, but one thing suffers if the other thing isn't being attended to, which is why corporate structure exists. Because really, we could all save money. Like if Jonathan answered the phone and did all the tubs and did all the advertising, he wouldn't fucking need all his guys. But it ends up costing you more money, whether you want to admit it or not. You might say, well, I, do, I just get back to everybody at 7 o'clock, one by one, and I, I close 70% of jobs. Cool. What about the last minute guy who already went with someone else? Yeah. Because oh, yeah. the, it, happens. it happens all the time. I, I was telling him the way we got into Disney, we do the tubs for the Grand Floridian. Mm -hmm. The way we got into Disney was because I answered the fucking phone, and I was the first one that answered. They called like four other companies. I was the only one that actually answered. And I charge them seven fifty for a tub, and the tubs, bro. They have you saw it a little mark like this. They're just like do the, the whole thing. The tubs are like brand wow. new. Wow, yeah. like you'll have a little scratch, and that's it. And they'll refinish the whole tub. Yep, and they'll pay seven fifty. I don't care. But working with Disney, that's a bitch, dude. It is the logistics. <laughs> you are have to walk net like 60. a quarter mile. No, not thirty, not thirty, but it's okay. It, that that's not that bad. It's the uh, it's the logistics. It's the actually, logistics because when you go into the resort, you know, one there's this whole. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to Disney, but it's yeah. it's a fucking mess when trying to get into the properties and knowing exactly where you're gonna go. But uh, I did. We recently did a tub at Grand, yeah. Grand Floridian. For oh, you. that's not hard work. And it's inside work. Yeah, yeah, no, whatever. Yeah, I had to. I had to tell the dude. I was like, look. I'm, you need to supply me with a cart. I was like, yeah. I got a fucking truckload of shit that I need to get in here, and you want me to walk a quarter mile it's a quarter to the mile. fucking so room? The vendor parking is a quarter mile from the entrance to the resort, and then you you only can go in through the back. They have they don't want it's Disney. Vendors don't exist. It's magic. They come in through the back door. There's a fake door. Yeah, that's like four vendors. They don't go in through the front lobby. They have their own elevator, and the elevator leads to a room that's like a back room. And then it has a door, and then you come out to the actual resort. And they tell you, don't ride an elevator if there's a guest in there. Like, I remember uh, when, I, when I went the first time, they're like, this is Disney. They're like, if the elevator has people in it, you wait for one that's empty. You cannot be eating on the property unless you're back at the vendor parking lot. Like, they're very, very, very stringent. But it's Disney. that's why people pay, pay. $800 a night to stay at the freaking Grand Floridian. And that's on low season. I've seen it. That hotel sometimes charges up to like fifteen hundred a night. It's crazy. Yeah, depending on the, the I, when I was there, those rooms are the whole the whole atmosphere of that hotel is completely different than what you would get at any other hotel. It's very themed. It's grand. Yeah, <laughs> like Grand Floridian. When you walk into that that building, it's just like breathtaking. I assume you'd have to use the air scrubber. Yeah, well, they, they actually have, have balconies. They have balconies there. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you can vent out. I, I don't think I originally answered your question. Uh, about like purchasing the business, so the company's oh, yeah. like, oh, yeah. like uh, founded in uh, 2012. Mm -hmm. um, if you're trying to sell a business and you're an owner operator, um, you can't get uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the small business SBA loan. Yeah, exactly. You can't get those loans on an owner operator because you don't have a system. 
There's, oh. there's no so back to what you're saying about corporate, right? You don't have any repeatable system. Mm-hmm. You're just a donkey, yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, but the reason I used, you can use the Rob's plan. So I had from years in corporate, I had um, uh, 401k money. Okay. And I took uh, 150000 is what I paid for the business. And it was basically goodwill, right? Because um, I think anybody knows if they look around enough. You can go to Topcoat. They have a school. EAH has a school. Um, but what I, you know, I have a family to support. So I didn't have time to organically build from nothing. You, you didn't have the time to brand build. Yeah. In the beginning. It, exactly. Okay. He, needed, he needed immediate return. Yeah. Got it, bro. I need that phone ringing. Right? I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, you should have bought Miracle Method, bro. I, that, when I'm looking at the, the median sales that they have per owner is 895000 let's say 900000 per per franchise. So yeah, yeah. I, I think I should have just probably bought a franchise at the end of the day. But, but you, bought, you, you own this 100%. My stock owns it. It's a C-Corp. Okay. So I only own like 5% of the company. So I have to pay back my retirement fund okay. before it's really a sellable asset and I own it. Okay. But in the end, I'll own it, and then I don't have royalties. Well, then in that case, and it no, might have been a better deal. And no debt. Because Mir- Miracle Method takes some off the, off the profits, and although you will have steady work and stuff like that, there's, it's different when it's yours, bro. It, it is. You don't have to answer to anybody. You can, you, know, you can make changes and not have to call up a corporate person and beg for them to say yes. Even though franchises are independently owned and operated, like they're you still have to answer to someone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I understand processes, right? Mm-hmm. I did factory and process automation for two decades. So I, and I can see how these structures work. What a franchise is very helpful to a lot of people is they keep you from fucking yourself because yep. you, need, you need to do X amount of marketing. You need to do, see how your website promotion is going. If I'm not getting you know, a certain amount of calls. What do I need to adjust? So they, they make the franchise market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how was the business? Was it, did he have anything he gave you? Like, hey, these are how, how these things were done? Or did he just, like, here's, here's the business name. Good luck. How did that happen? I worked with him for like three weeks. And um, yeah, that, he, that was about it. Just showed me how to spray. Uh, there wasn't, where did you guys come to with that evaluation of 150k? So if it's an owner operator, you take his sales and you multiply it by 0.7. That's what you typically do. Now, if if you had a real business, right? Like you have three technicians, uh, office manager, um, somebody doing QC and sales, something like that, um, then you'd be uh, on a multiple of three. Okay. So it's worse. Like, what you're putting together, what you have, you try to sell that. That's worth vastly more than an owner-operator. Okay. Shit. I didn't know that. I didn't, that's cool. I didn't know that either, but that Thank is you for that information, because I've had that question. Is like, how do you value one of these businesses? You know, it's, it's a 3.1 bit, is a real common. Bigger. Okay. So, so let's say um, your earnings that go into your pocket. I'll just use a round number, right? Let's, let's say 100 grand. Okay. Um, and of course, everybody knows there's advantages to owning your own business, right? Yeah. Um, Tax advantages. Exactly. So we'd take that and we'd multiply that by three, or we'd multiply it by three point one, 
And then if you own the building or whatever, you might have a real estate play there. So there's, okay. a, there's a few ways you could do it. Okay. And so, and the way you structure the ownership, um, that's interesting. So you have a C-Corp that owns it. You own shares of it. And you own shares of it for the tax incentive pretty much, right? Right. The, the, my Roth, my IRA owns shares of it. That is fucking smart. That's so smart. We got to do that. So that's better than putting it in a trust. Well, also, if you need to, if you need cash flow, you could pull it out of your equity, and then it's not taxable, right? I'm not sure. I, I'm just. I'm finally at the point where I think I have some repeatable systems where I can train mm-hmm. an individual if they're skilled enough. And uh, so my goal is to start buying, buying my shares back, so I own it rather than. Gotcha. What what I've seen so. From what I understand, this is an example. Like Jeff Bezos, for example, when he was a majority shareholder of Amazon, he would borrow against his own shares as collateral mm-hmm. because the shares are not realized a realized gain, meaning they have a value, but the value isn't, it's not really tangible because it hasn't been sold for that amount. They cannot tax him on it. Okay, it's, so a, it's an unrealized gain. The, so then he doesn't have to pay taxes when he borrows against it. This is a little bit different. So if you took it from your retirement, the government wants that money back. Okay. So I, I get what you're saying. All the rich guys do what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, the government wants that retirement back. I see. I see. Okay. So you're a little bit limited. So if, if you want some freedom, you got to pay that back. Okay. And then you have a sellable And you have one asset. of those. You yeah. have, what, what is it? A, a, something with an S Roth, the, the business Roth IRA, right? Uh, it, it's called the Rob's plan is what you use. Okay. It, so that, like, I don't know. Have you ever noticed, like, I would see, um, by my old plan I worked at, just for example, I see like a pot belly mm-hmm. sandwich shop open up. Yeah. And, you know, I always notice that the dudes are like 50, 55. Why is that? Well, it's, they, took, they took their retirement and did the Rob's plan to open the franchise. That's why you see... I, so I used to think I was, like, way behind the game, right? Because I bought the company. I was 43. It was two years ago. Um, like, the average business startup, believe it or not, in the United States, it's, like, 52 years old, 53 years old. Wow. That's average. So, like, you're so far ahead of the game as far as that's concerned. Because I was like, oh, man, I, I, you know, I'm maybe too old to make this leap. And it's like, no. I'm, I, right now I'm eight years younger than the average Franchise startup. That makes sense to me, though. And the reason why is because I feel like a lot of people get bored when they're near retirement age and they got some money. So they're like, I'm going to start my own thing now. I've worked for this job for 40 fucking years. I think it coincides with like a little bit of midlife crisis, but a little bit of like... That or or just capability, right? So like even my parents, now that you're talking about it, I believe they followed that Rob's model because we, we have a cigar lounge. A family cigar lounge, and uh, we use my mom's 401k to help fund some startup cost with Perfect Surface. Okay. Uh, when we first started, and we repaid back that loan to herself, mm-hmm. um, and then we're gonna do it again to make the transition to the bigger location. to the bigger location. And now I'm thinking like it's exactly the same thing. I wasn't thinking of it in that way, but I think it's that you have that asset to use as collateral. So if you're 25, you're 29, like us, we, we don't have. And you don't have $100,000 invested into a 401k yet. You know what I mean? So we don't have that clear. But at 50, you may. Yeah. You, know, may, you may, that, you may have sense. the opportunity to, to use or that 43. as leverage. Or 43, yeah. yeah. 43. 
So the government does that because they want to encourage you to create jobs. Yeah. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't. They don't want you to be an owner operator because you're, you're not really you're not you you own a job. You're you're not a business at that point. Yeah. Thank right? you for yeah. saying that. Yeah, yep. if you're an owner operator, all you're doing is you, you own your job. You own your job. Yeah. You you're basically working twenty four seven for yourself, but it's like you're just you just have a job. Might as well get a nine to five. Uh, we talked about exactly. this before, mm-hmm. um, not too long ago. Actually, we were talking about that about how uh, these these guys, you know, they think that they just because they're busy Monday through Friday, that that they're like ahead of the curve. And it's like we have to get your Monday through Friday schedule to one tech, like. Or, or like, let's say, like you have five jobs a week, like we need five jobs in the schedule every day to like break even. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it, it, it's it's a different game, and I agree. Like you're just buying a job. Um, so as far as your your goals go, though, so the next step you wanna do you have technicians at all? Uh, I, I have uh, one one girl working for me right now. Okay, how's she working on good? Um, so. I in my part of the market mm-hmm. is is mostly downtown to the north side, and that's the most affluent part of the Indianapolis, mm-hmm. east and west kind of low rent, um, a lot of crime. So my customers are really picky because I, what I always say: it's nice to have your tub refinished. You don't have to have your tub refinished. You need to have a little bit of fuck you money, right? Yeah, a yeah. little bit. Yeah, for sure. You know, like so. Um, She's work. She's been around like three months. Um, she's great with the customers. Uh, she's real small. She can kind of, you know, move move around, get in get into the tubs and tight spaces. So, so so far she's been good. She's a subcontractor. Okay. Um, I'm I'm, I heard you say thirty to forty percent would be a normal cut. She's at fifty, but she. Let's say she's uh stop the crisis you know because I, I just i couldn't keep up with the phone yeah, it all emails. depends on the value it, it, she brings though. exactly yeah. it, uh, she, she looks she's she's a nice looking lady so she goes, presents well mm-hmm. yeah the, uh, my own so i i have that opinion of when you are using a sub more for overflow work right when, when you get to that next level where you have three or four guys and the contractor is is someone you're paying to just take over work that you would otherwise turn away you know, that's when, or if it's a very particular project where you want someone who's super skilled. But in the beginning, sometimes you just got to take what you can to k- take the workload off of you. Exactly. That's your real investment is you're, yeah. investing, you're investing 50% for, so you can have your return on time. Yep. And, and now I'm picking up the phone and my, I really, that stuck in my mind when you, you made that comment. Why are you in business if you're not going to pick up the phone? And I noticed my, my close ratio has went up tremendously. Mm-hmm. Of course, people want to have a conversation. And not, not that long, but 10 minutes, 12 minutes. They're, well, they're spending $1,000 with you, $600 with yeah. you, whatever. And, that's, that's a little bit of money. And yeah. we know our competitors. You know the people in your market. I know the ones in my market. He knows the ones in his. And we know that, the look, it starts there. Do they answer the phone? If somebody called three other guys and they didn't answer the phone and you answer, they're basically sold already. Like, what are they going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the job to the guy who didn't even bother to answer the phone? No. You know, a lot of the time that's the difference. A lot of, a lot of people don't even take the, the time to make sure that they are, are doing that, which is the bare minimum. So that's, that's why I always say that as a point. Like, 
you know, and, and also what's the point of being in business if you're just going to work it forever? That goes back to the things you were talking about, about some of these owner operators that just own a job. It's like, dude, you think you're going to be 30 forever? You're not. Yeah. You're not. Well, it, it's going to come at and, you. And the only way to scale, like from my experience, is, is systems and processes yep. because it is a challenge, right? So if you're an owner operator today and you're, we're talking like, like it's just that easy to it's make not. the transition, it's right? Not. So there's a whole plethora of challenges that, that incur from you need to maintain cash flow in order to inf- and afford an employee. But if no one's, do- if you're out of the field now, you run into that contradiction, right? So it's about developing some sort of process that if you are going to be an owner operator, you have to create processes where you're going to accommodate for those shortcomings mm-hmm. over the phone. So if that means that, for example, they have tools on, on like Thumbtack where you can set certain times or, or period or days that um, you can do your in-home estimation. You have to f- set real processes for yourself like you were an employee. Mm-hmm. So that way when you if you are in the field a lot, you have some time to compensate, you know, for that that lack of customer service until you can afford that that extra body. Because excuses aren't going to make a difference. It's it's not. And you also have to, you need to keep in mind, like, your job should be providing value. And you, you when you're doing these, these interactions with customers, uh, long term, that is what differentiates you from the next guy. It's what are you providing? Everyone complains. I hear it all the time about prices. You know, in your town, odds are the miracle methods are probably charging more than you. Oh, they're, they're charging insane. And, and, and we hear this all the time from a lot of these owner-operators, too. So it's like, you know... It, I it, love them. I love Miracle Method. I, yeah, I, they do I, a good job. I've recommended them before. I'm, I recommend them constantly. Yeah, it, but they have a system, and, it's, and we see the value in that. A lot of these other guys just get jealous. All, yeah, they have they, a nice website when you call. They answer. They, they answer It's the, the value. Um, they, their office manager in Indianapolis, uh, Melissa, mm-hmm. Melissa, I think her name is... Um, she, she will, if you talk to her and you say, I, I kind of prefer somebody to come out there. Boom. She's out there for a quote mm-hmm. yep. in a logoed vehicle. That's yep. it. And th- my other competitors on the South side of Indianapolis, it's, it's, they're just one man shows and they well, a, a lo- turn the call a week later. A lot of these guys are, and, and we, you got to put yourself in the customer's position. If I were in the market for this service, like the person doesn't answer the phone, gets back to me three days later. Like all these things, those are red flags. Because if he's not even, if someone's not even excited to get the business, are they going to come back if something happens? You're, you're questioning it. They might, they might have just been busy, but that's the perception you're putting out there. If you try to do it all yourself, you wear yourself thin. And people start questioning, am I going to be able to trust this company? And when... And so, you know, it's a problem, right? Like, uh, how do you make that first transition? Mm-hmm. And the way I, the only way I find it is that you have to calculate the cost of doing business with an employee. So if, if, you're, if you're looking at your margins like, oh, I can make more money if I do it myself, or I, mm-hmm. then your, your cost of doing business, your margins are off because that's not the real cost of doing business. Exactly. Because in order to stay in business, you need to scale. If you're not going to scale, repeatable so your your yeah. margins are going to change. You obviously you're going to spend more in labor, but then you know that you need to charge more now. And if you're going to charge more, then you need to provide a different level of service, and that's where that that all comes into play. So you make that initial sacrifice, get the tech, train the tech, 
and you may have to work harder while training that technician. But once they're producing, you'll see the increase in value once you're right removed away. from the field because your customer service is going to go up. Um, your, your response and lead acquisition is going to go up because mm-hmm. you're available and you're going to close at a higher rate. And when you're closing at a higher rate and you're booking you and your tech out for two, three weeks, you don't need to take that $200 tub. No, you, don't. you can pass on the bullshit tubs, you know, and, and you can, you, you can charge your value. You're going to be able to take advantage of the customer. There's a customer that exists that none of these people ever see the owner, the owner operators who are in it every single day who are one man shows never see this customer. I need it today. Cause I'm selling the house. Bam. I need it tomorrow. I'm selling the house. I need it next week because I'm selling the house. You guys will never see them because you're too busy doing the fucking thing. And that's fine. In the beginning, you have to. But you need to come up with a game plan from the beginning. One of the most important things, if you want to be ahead of the curve today, and if I'm doing it from the beginning, if I had to, I would hire somebody from day fucking one. And I would come up with a comprehensive training system because I do not want to miss out on that customer. And there's so many of them. Yeah. And, and they pay top dollar and they'll pay it tomorrow if and, you're there. And you don't have to see it again. And you don't have to see it again. It's going to go away because they're selling the thing. And, and But I, I still do those jobs and try to make them for sure. gorgeous, yeah. right? But, but it, you know in the back of your head, this is going to be, and you know, a, someone's going to move in. And that's a personal thing. That's also on your personal work ethic. Like you either have what it takes to, to make that initial change, right? Like just because you hire a tech doesn't mean you're immediately out of the field forever. No, You no. know, there's going to be that. There's going to be years where you're still there jobbing a little bit. You're still managing. You're helping them with their stuff. You're also answering the phone. And when, when you start your refinishing company, you need to be aware that mm-hmm. within those first three to five years, it's very hands-on, hands-off, mm-hmm. hands-on, hands-off. Some days you're going to be in the field. Some days you're going to be out of the field. Yep. But you have to begin the transition process. If not, you're going to remain stagnant for the next 10 to 15 years. Or have it in your head. Just have it in your head that mm-hmm. I don't want to wake up one day and like be 60 and just me, myself, and I, bro. And, you're, and then you have an asset that isn't worth shit. It's exactly. worth a point seven multiple instead of the, the three. 3. Mm-hmm. 3.1, right? Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. I did not know that, and that's like really valuable information because it helps me figure where my business is at. Mm-hmm. Right, so I'm scared. I'm like, I got to get there. I, I this, this has to be a real company because otherwise, what's point seven? And, a, and ethically, you're, you're, you're providing careers. Like, you're really providing careers for people that need it. And you're providing value. At the end of the day, we all know what it costs to demo a bathroom and to, to do all this extra work. And if you're going to squander that just because, like, you think that you can't trust people or you have doubts about this, you're just being a pussy. I'm going to say a quick story real quick, and then we're going to get off of this one. We'll, do, we'll start up another one. There's a guy in these groups... It really got me upset, man. And it, I don't. DP Tubs? No, 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 no. <laughs> I've talked to that guy. But. <laughs> Out of Vegas, I like him. No, there, yeah, there's one in these groups, man. And he was a new guy. He, was, he talked about it to be fair. And he said that he charged a customer 1200 for a tub enclosure, one of those fiberglass tub enclosures. Okay, okay. And he said that he felt bad because he finished the job in four hours, so he discounted it to 900 himself and bro that shit got me so upset because this is the thing man what it costs to run a business that guy's in the beginning but in the future he's gonna look back and feel like such a dumbass we have to have insurance on your business your vehicles you have to uh have workers compensation if you have employees you have to have a shop 
You have to maintain those vehicles. You need thousands of dollars worth of equipment. You have all this fucking insane overhead that the customer can't even fathom. But that customer sees the value in you and you don't fucking see it in yourself. You're never going to make it, bro. You need to unfuck your mind, bro. How, 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 the customer has more faith in, in you than you. And somebody commented there. Thank God somebody else said it because I, I would have been meaner about it. But somebody said, they were like, well, if it would have taken longer, would you have charged more? And he's like, well, definitely if it would have taken longer. So, and I'm just over here like he doesn't see it. So he's punishing himself for being efficient. That's literally what he just did. He's like, if a, if a fiberglass unit is is upstairs, like in in a lot of the suburbs, and you want to rip that shit out, like you're looking at four or five grand because the on plumbers, the low end, on the low end, they don't want to go up those stairs. Yeah, and plumbers mm-hmm. plumbers have to open a permit with the state to work on your fucking bathroom, bro. Like, yeah, it's a horror deal. It's a, it's a whole thing. Like, it's um, like how is twelve hundred not cheap? Or well, not he, here's here's what I don't understand. If twelve hundred is too much, why is nine hundred the right number? You're still more than so. If it's like some moral thing, like I can't possibly charge three hundred an hour, but two twenty-five, that's fine. Why? If if it's if it's a morality game, like charge them three hundred. You doubled your material cost, right? Plus, and when you're running a business, sometimes you take some losses too. Yeah. You have to compensate. Exactly. It's and not so, even the material cost. Like I, I put sixty-five hundred well, in my truck in the last. Here's two years. what I what I think Insurance, about too. Website hosting. That oh, customer, CPA. That customer might appreciate it now. He already did it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get on too much. I'm not even gonna say his name. But in three or four years, if that customer fucks something up, and they expect him to come back, he's gonna feel like such a fucking stupid ass for not taking the 300 extra money, bro. Because that's what that's for, bro. You, you the point. You're not supposed to double your money in business. You like if you really want to make a good business, you should be on aiming for four xing what your investment is. That's what you should be aiming for. Because in reality, there's all these incidentals. We warranty our work. You know we we, we warranty work in the refinishing industry. This is another problem. But we warranty our work longer than builders warranty brand new shit. A builder, a standard builder warranty is one fucking year. Right. Yeah, a brand new vanity from the factory. I'm only going to guarantee it for one year. But we, we charge like fucking shit sometimes or we take money from our families. Like, yeah, yo, me and my family, my kids, they don't need this 300. This person does. And then, th- and then we get upset later when we're out of fucking business. It's like we're doing it to ourselves. You know, we, we like everybody in this business needs to fucking recognize that like what we do is providing immense value, not only in time, but in what we're delivering as a product and the fact that we're going back and fixing all these guys in these groups. And I think this is good customer service, by the way. All these guys in these groups say that they'll go back if a customer calls no matter what, even if they know it was the customer's fault. And you're not charging for that? Like you're not charging ahead of time enough money to where you could do that in good faith and know like I'm not fucking myself over it to service a customer. Or you would just throw $300 away because of, oh, I don't think this kind of work is worth $300 an hour. Nah, bro. Sorry, bro. You shouldn't be in business, bro. That is crazy to me. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I, I, are, you, are we wrapping this one up? Or I was going to throw a question go, at you. Go ahead. I just, so I've been scheduling jobs and whatever since I've been down in Florida the last week. Um, I'm kind of pushing stuff to email um, so we did a tub in uh, Bloomington, where Indiana University is, mm-hmm. Tuesday this week. Um, 
and she sent me a picture, and she's like, there's scratches in the finish. <laughs> I don't know how this happened. Let's. Well, like, I know she washed her fucking dog in it. Let's, let's pick this up on the next one. I got a story about the exact same thing that happened to me last week. So I'm going to leave it there. We'll pick it up right where we left off here, okay? Okay. All right. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back on the next one. You've been listening to the Bathtub Refinishing Podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to keep up with the Bathtub Guys on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Or visit bathtubguys.com for more. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.